story, but I was like studying the Bible with this dude for months, right? Like really trying to help this guy come to know Jesus. And he was kind of getting stuck and there was a girl involved. Usually there is if a guy's getting stuck, just some, you know what I mean? Hey, but check this out. She ended up getting baptized and she's from a Hindu background. So it was very, very cool. But that, that's cool. But the other thing I was going to say was that that's just a freebie. That's a happy thing. But I was talking to Alan and um, I was like, hey, man, so what was it? Like, what was your turning point? Like, what was a point in your story when you're like, I am going to make Jesus Lord of my life? At what point did you decide that you're going to stop just saying that you're a Christian, but actually follow Jesus? At what point did you do that? And I was like so hoping that he was going to say, yeah, it was that one time that you made that point, you know, in that Bible study when you just drew my heart out and you were like all like telling me all this wisdom. You know what I mean? I was like, please, please, please say something to make me feel good about myself. (laughs) And he was like, oh, it was Reese's message. (laughs) He's like, it was when Reese came over and he gave this message called Jesus is my why. And it was like, it was amazing. It was exactly what I needed to hear for everybody sitting in the front two rows. I don't know why you guys all congregated together. Like, this is like the the next generation. I'm really happy that you guys are in front of me because you who I'm trying to lay the foundation for. If you get Jesus, you get everything. Like, if you understand Jesus, the church stuff might not make sense from time to time, especially if you grew up. It might be confusing, but if you get Jesus... Everything makes sense. I promise. I promise. And so when Reese came and delivered that message, it was like he totally helped move the ball down the court in this guy's life. And this guy ended up becoming a disciple. He ends up reaching out to his girlfriend who comes from a Hindu background. Parents were basically going to pull her funds, not pay for her college because she was going to follow Jesus. But I'm so proud that I get to do this with Reese. What a cool opportunity I have. So, Reese, again, I just wanted to thank you. It's so good to be here. Um, I, uh, I'm really excited to share what I'm going to share with you guys. I'm going to see if this thing is working. Oh, how about that? It's working. Um, sometimes these things don't work, and it, like, totally, like, buzz kills. You know, it's, like, awkward, but it worked. <laughs> so you guys have heard this passage, yeah? It's the official sponsor for the NFL, right? The, like, the official biblical sponsor of the NFL. For God so loved the world. Now, but when I, when I hear this, I typically tend to just go past it because I've heard it so many times. For God so loved the world. Yeah, like we, we hear it, we see it, and it's almost like the NFL has hijacked it so it no longer has like spiritual value. But think about like, but if you actually read it, it says God so loved the world. It doesn't say that God loved the world. It says that God so loved the world. God so, so so loved the world. Have you ever met anybody with a really bad case of the so loves? Like a really bad case of the so loves. Like those uh, soccer parents, maybe like the soccer dad or the soccer mom when like the little kid gets the breakaway and they're like running down. Like somehow the ball accidentally gets away from the bunch in there and the kid's on a breakaway and he's going and the dad has like got his shirt off and he's like running down the sideline and he's like, go, 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 go. And you're like, dude, he's four years old. Like calm down. Like got a bad case of the so loves. Like a terrible case of the solos. This is not something that I quite understand because I don't have kids yet. That would be awesome at some point. But there's a little boy I'd like to introduce you to. This kid, his name is Sky. Okay, this is Sky. He's actually one of my best friends. Um, best friends with the six-year-old. I don't know what that says about me. There's one of my other best friends, Mike. But um, 
So I worked with kids who have autism for five years. I worked out in like Pacoima and Arlita, Panorama City, Van Nuys, helping kids who have pervasive developmental disorders learn how to connect socially with people. A lot of these kids that I've worked with for years, they, their parents were told that, like, I'm really, really sorry, but your kid is never going to be able to love you or say I love you or never feel that connection and all this stuff. But I've had the opportunity to be in homes with people and see these connections get made. You know, and this this is a kid, Sky. This is him. Okay, so check this out. Like, he didn't have any functional play skills. Um, he would, like, a lot of self-stimulatory behaviors. Like, if you see kids flapping, sometimes someone with autism, it's not because they're weird. It's because that's how they feel their body when they're, like, and they feel overwhelmed. It's like a way of feeling and owning their own space. So Sky didn't have any functional play skills, and I was like, this kid needs to learn some stuff. He's got to stop flapping. Like, it looks cool. To me, it looks like he's, like, flying or something. But we got to get him some, like, functional play skills. So what I decided to do is to teach him to ride a trike. But his little legs couldn't understand, like, the function of how to. So you see that pink stuff? That's duct tape. So I duct taped his feet to the pedals. I had his mom sign it, but, like, get, like, a waiver saying that it was okay for this, like, grown man with a beard at the time to duct tape her child to a tricycle and after about six months he learned his little legs learned how to do it and then he was gone like I couldn't catch up with him it was like the coolest thing right here's another picture of him that's his communication book it's his system called PEX it's the picture um, exchange communication system so for kids that don't have words yet they use pictures say like I want cookie or I want candy which like uh, he, that's like the only one he ever would use. I want candy. But that's his little book. That's, that's on our way to a speech therapy session. And I didn't really want to show this picture. I've showed it to a group once before because I feel like it's a bit too intimate. And I think at the end of the day, like, I really do struggle with, like, wanting to be cool and impress people. And showing you this picture makes me feel very uncool, but it's honest. Um, this is this is Sky and I. I. I was hired full-time by the church, Turning Point, in January. So I no longer work with Sky. But this was a month after I had quit, and we hadn't seen each other. And so for all the doctors that said that these kids would not ever connect, like, look at that. Okay, so I walked in the restaurant, and his face just, like, exploded, right? His mom started crying. And I'm showing you this because this kid is helping me understand what the soul loves looks like. What the soul loves looks like. There was a time, it was when I first started working him, we were working with him, we were in his preschool at the Disney preschool, which like FYI is like the raddest preschool ever. Super expensive, but it's crazy. Everything is decked out. But he was supposed to be taking a nap, but he didn't want to take a nap because kids don't want to take a nap. So he didn't want to take a nap, but he wanted his pillow. Everybody else was like asleep. They're trying to put all the kids down, right? And um, he wanted his pillow, but I wanted to use that as an opportunity to get some inform- like a communication interaction out of him. As opposed to just giving what I want, I wanted him to say, you know, I want pillow. So he, he's not there yet, but I wanted him to say pillow. But all he had at that point was just like, ma, ma, or ba, ba. And I could tell what he was saying or what he wanted, but all, that's all he had. He didn't have pillow. Like that's, that was like a huge deal. For us, speaking is very easy. I think we can take it for granted. Like the fact that we can actually communicate with each other, but he could not say anything. So saying pillow was like a big deal, but I'm like, no, dude, you're going to do this. Like if I'm getting up at eight o'clock every day for me, which is like way early, you were going to say pillow. Like you were going to like, I'm a musician. Like we don't go to bed till like four. So eight o'clock, dude, like you're saying pillow. So we just sat there and I'm like, say pillow, pillow, ma, 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 pillow, ma, ma. 
pillow, Piro. And I was like, oh, like holy, like holy hands in the air. You see those people that do like this, like when they sing their holy hands. I was like freaking out, like freaking out. Like he said pillow. He said pillow. Oh, my God. Like almost ready to take my shirt off and run around the classroom. Like this is crazy. He just said pillow. He just said pillow. And the teacher was like, what are you doing? The children are sleeping. And I'm like, oh, but he said pillow. It, It was so exciting. And it was like kind of in moments like that that I'm beginning to understand that this soul love thing, it actually exists. That in spite of my imperfections, and in spite of the times that like I can't communicate the things that I'm trying to say, or that I act weird, or I sin, or I mess up before God, or I'm super embarrassed because of things that I've done, that God still so loves me. It's working with kids who have autism that taught me more about the unconditional grace and love of Jesus Christ than, than anything. God used these kids to teach me about his grace. And I'm so, so glad to be able to share this with you today. You know, for me, one of the things that I've, I've been wrestling with or I have wrestled with, and I don't think it's just because I grew up in a church. I think it's because I'm a performance-oriented person. And there's like this, this voice inside my head that's just like, please like me, please like me, please like Like I am a people pleaser by nature. I, 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 don't, I might be the only one in the room. But, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there. That's totally what I wrestle with, right? And I have, I have these tapes in my head that's like, you're not good enough. You went too far. At this point, you went too far. Like, you've, you've crossed the line. You did what you always do, and you can't come back this time. At some point, the case of soul loves that God apparently has for you, it's going to run out. At, at what point? At what point, Seth, did you go too far? Or am I worth it? Do you guys wrestle with that? Like, am, am I worth it? I mean, it's like I look at a lot of the guys and the women in the next generation, and you guys are – like, we are – flooded with images of what you have to look like or what you have to sound like or be like or dress like in order to be accepted in the world and all those messages i believe the enemy is emphasizing the fact that to the world we are not worth it to the world that we're not good enough if the enemy can get us to believe that we are not good enough that's all he has to do Because that will isolate us from God. And then when God says, I so love you, we're not going to believe him because we've already been inundated with these messages. So we have to fight. We have to fight through the noise. And we have to look at Jesus. And and, and this is not just like nice Christian stuff. The only reason that I actually believe this is because I see the terrible, terrible cases of the so loves that Jesus has for all these broken people in the Bible. You know, like we... We have the opportunity to wrestle with this stuff, these, these crazy tapes, like, you're not good enough, you're not, you're not worth it. Like, at what point, like, God is just going to turn his back and say, like, dude, you went too far this time. Like, we hear this stuff, but we have the opportunity to look at the Bible and see how Jesus loved broken people. And Jesus, like, loved these people like crazy. We're going to look at one story today that is, like, uh, like my my favorite it's from the book of mark um this is like a it's like the reader's digest version of the gospel it's like it's like it moves through the gospel of jesus's life really quickly it's my favorite if you have like add or wrestle with adhd like this is the the gospel for you to read um but in mark what he says is he says let us go over to the other side so at this point jesus has been followed by all these people, all these people are really, really impressed with all the miracles and everything that he's doing. And he's healing people like there, there is a guy that was crippled that could no longer walk. And Jesus just told him to walk. And next thing you know, he's walking and 
people are like, you know, bent over for, for years and they can't get up because of like a, a physical deformity. And Jesus will say, stand up. And he stands up. And then right after this, what we're going to talk about today, this woman had had a problem of, of blood, like a flow of blood for 12 years. And, and, and people were trying to help her, but nobody could help her. And she touched Jesus's cloak and she was healed. And, and Jesus was doing all these amazing things. And the thing that's fascinating to me about Jesus, why I can't get my head around him, is he never asked for anything in return. He didn't charge people. He didn't try to manipulate people. He didn't coerce people or guilt or manipulate or shame people into changing. He just said, I have a terrible case of the soul loves and so does God. And that's why I'm here. And I'm going to give it to you. And so because of that, Jesus has all these people following him. So when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, it doesn't mean, what's that street out there? California? So let's go to the other side of California like that. That that's not it's like not let's go to the other side of the street. This is like the other side of the tracks. Have you guys heard that? Like the other side of the the tracks, uh, the place that you don't go. You can go anywhere, but don't go here. So Jesus says, let's go to the other side. His disciples are looking at him like this makes no sense. Do you know what actually exists on the other side? So did you guys know what animal the Israelites were not too fond of? Pigs, exactly. On the other side, the people that lived on this other side were a part of a, a group of cities called the Decapolis. It means, means ten towns. It was made up of seven nations of people that were removed from the promised land hundreds of years before. These people actually worshipped pigs. So the Israelites hated pigs, but on the other side, they worshipped pigs. So to Jesus', to Jesus disciples, this makes absolutely no sense. Let's go to the other side. What do you mean? Like everybody's following us. And the fact that everybody's following us because you're doing all this crazy stuff and you're healing people, you're crazy popular and we're connected with you. So if you're popular and we're your boys and we're popular too, like why would we go to the other side? Why would we take a five to eight mile trip across the lake? And so they do, they do. But like, I think to me, this is just kind of funny. Like on the way, they happen to get, like, caught in a storm. It's, like, not this easy trip to the other side. Like, I would be like, yeah, guys, just trust me. Let's go. I'll make it nice and gentle. Like, no, no, no. There's a crazy storm. Like, they're convinced they're going to die, and Jesus is, like, asleep. He's just, like, knocked out. And so he gets up. He rebukes the wind and the wave, like, you know, like an unruly child, which to me is kind of crazy. Any guy that has the ability to, like, rebuke a storm or just tell the rain to stop, I'm like, I'm with you, dude. I'm, I'm like, just, just as like a general rule, if a guy comes back from the dead, I'm with him. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to go. Like, I, I don't have to understand, but if, if you can tell the wind to stop and you can tell the rain to stop and you can like say, hey, I'm going to raise from the dead and actually do it. Like, dude, I'm just with you. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just with you. So they get to the other side and this is where we're going to pick up. All right. It says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, this is Mark 5, 2. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn there. I usually like scroll with my phone. There's like a billion different translations in like this phone app. It's amazing. But uh, in Mark 5, verse 2, it says, When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. Do you think about this? He came out from a cemetery. Why was he in a cemetery? What is a cemetery? A cemetery is a place where a bunch of dead bodies are, right? Like it's a grave. He came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived. He lived among the burial caves. He lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained. Why did he need to be restrained? Like why? Why? Why, why did he need to be restrained? Even with the chain. 
So not only did like people try to restrain him physically, but they actually tried to chain this dude up. But they couldn't restrain him. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. I don't know anybody that can do that. I don't know anybody that can snap chains and just smash iron. Just snapped them and smashed them. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So what this is implying is that people had been trying to subdue this guy over and over and over and over again, and nobody could. Nobody could subdue him. Day and night, day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. It sounds comical, right? Like he's howling and he's cutting himself. But we think about a lot of people that wrestle with things like cutting. Or self-destructive behavior. Or addiction. Yeah, I did grow up in the church. My father does pastor the church in Missoula. I have heard Reese Nealon's name since I was a kid. But I, I am addicted to trying to be perfect and be the best at everything that I could do to the point that I became addicted to prescription pills and overdosed twice. So it could be it could be anything. This guy's cutting himself. It could be self-harm. For me, it was prescription pills because that's self-harm. It isolated me from all the people that I loved. It put me in the hospital. We look at this stuff and we can kind of want to laugh at it. But who are we to judge him? Who are you to judge him? We don't know what kind of shape he was in. What if this was heartbreak? What if he got his heart broken and never recovered? What if he was a drug addict? Like opiates and things were just as popular then as they are now. We don't know. What if, what if like his friends were murdered and he just became incredibly hurt and bitter and resentful and just opened himself up to all kind of evil? We, d- we don't know. But this guy was hurting. Verse 16. Where is it? Hold up. Hold up. Give me one second. Sorry, guys. Uh, where is it? Slides got mixed up. Um, day and night. Okay, so yeah, he comes down to Jesus. Shoot, my notes got... All right, going off the notes. Goodbye. Can we put that back up? All right, so he shows up. He says, with a shriek, he screamed... Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, have any of you guys ever been called your full name by your mom and your dad? Jacob Seth Jensen. It's like, oh, no. Like, this guy who's possessed by demons comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, son of the most high God. At the time, what the superstitious belief was that if you knew someone's full name and you said it, you had power over them. So he was posturing. He was picking a fight. He says, Jesus, son of the most high God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded. So check this out. Nobody could subdue this guy, right? That's what it said before. Nobody could subdue this guy. But now this guy is at Jesus' feet. So it's the crazy chaos, the craziest of the crazy, falls at Jesus' feet. And when Jesus makes a demand, he answers We can look at Jesus and we can see these pictures of Jesus and we can think that he's soft and we can think that 
he's weak and he's very overly sensitive and all these things. But if that's the case, then why do things like this happen? Where Jesus stops time for this guy and he demands him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. Because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Not to send them to some distant place. See, the crazy thing to me is that these demons, these dark forces were terrified of Jesus. Because they knew that in spite of how crazy they had made this man, in spite of how much pain he was in, all the sin, whatever it was that he'd caused to be in that position, that Jesus didn't see the demons, he saw the broken man. Now, when we are in our sin and we do things that we know that we shouldn't be doing, do we trust, do we actually believe that Jesus actually sees us and not just our sin? Because he does. This is just another freebie. Who are the only people, the only things that never doubted Jesus? Because if we read about him, his disciples doubted him all the time. They were with him for three years and like they still didn't believe he, he was who he said he was. The only people, the only things that never doubted Jesus were the demons. Like that's saying something, right? Like if that's all you remember, remember that. Like even the darkest, craziest, most sinister forces are terrified of Jesus because his love for broken people is that big. There's nothing that Jesus won't do to help one person. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, which is crazy because these people, what they worship pigs, it was also how a lot of them made their money. On the hillside nearby, send us into those pigs, the spirit begged, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed. So it says that he had been possessed. So if he was possessed, it means that he's no longer possessed. He had been possessed but is no longer possessed by this legion of demons. And a legion, if you guys haven't heard a legion, the actual number that it's referring to is 6,000. So whether or not this guy actually had 6,000 demons in him, that's what he is saying. We don't know. This guy had so much darkness in him that he had lost complete control. Do you guys remember that? If you are a follower of Christ, do you remember that feeling? When you're like, I, have, I, I, I did it again. I have no control over my life. I need Jesus to come now to help me. Do you remember that? By the legion of demons, he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. If he was fully clothed now, it meant that he wasn't before. It meant that he was naked. And again, we can look at this and we can want to laugh. But how humiliating for this guy who'd been isolated from his family, from his friends, is now running around in the cemetery, cutting himself, self-destructive behavior. He's sitting there fully clothed. Fully clothed. Jesus is giving him his life back. I think it can be hard as Christians to feel like I don't want to give you my whole heart today because I still want to keep a little bit of me. But what Jesus is saying is, no, when you look to me, you find you. In Jesus, I have found Seth. The Seth that I want to be, the man that I want to be is in Jesus. Fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. I love the fact that Mark put they were all afraid because they were terrified of this guy. So whatever was like bigger and more powerful just control this guy Jesus that just control this guy legion had to be more powerful than him and that was Jesus they were terrified of him 
Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. To me, this is really sad. As opposed to taking time to celebrate in the fact that this man had been given his life back, they were upset because they just lost a lot of money. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm going to place value in today? What am I going to get my confidence from today? What am I going to put my value in today? Am I going to celebrate the things that God is doing right in front of me? It can be really hard. Like I said, we're inundated with images and things all day long. You're not good enough. You need to do this. You need to do this. If you get to this place, then you will be acceptable. But in Jesus, this guy was made completely whole. Jesus was alive then and he's alive now and he still does the same thing today. As Jesus was getting into the boat. Okay, so what happened is these guys, they came back to Jesus and they begged him to go. They began pleading with him to go away and leave them alone. Leave them alone. And as Jesus was getting back into the boat, he said, okay, if that's what you want, then I will go to the other side. I'll get back in the boat. I'll leave. The man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Begged to go with him. So now this guy who had been posturing in front of Jesus, picking a fight, was now begging Jesus to go with him. Just please let me go with you. Please let me go with you. Please let me go with you. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family. See, this is, this is where like, I, I froze when I read this. What does that mean? Go home to your family. Like, did he have a wife? What if, what if he had a son? What if he had a, a daughter? What if he had a baby girl that he'd not been able to connect with because of what he'd opened himself up to? Jesus is here giving this guy his life back. He says, go back to your family. Go love your family. Go hug your family. But Je- begged to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to the ten towns, so he goes to this place, the other side, the Decapolis of that region, and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Everyone was amazed. One of the things that I think about a lot as like a young minister is what do I have to do to figure all this stuff out? What do I have to do in order to help the people that I'm helping in Panorama City and all these guys that come from like music, rock and roll, drug backgrounds? What do I have to do? Do I need to go to Bible school? Do I need to figure all this stuff out? Do I need to figure out how to like master everything, all the theology? Do I need to figure out how to like prove a point when it comes to apologetics and convince them that God is real in order for them to come to church? If we look at this story, we don't have to do that. Jesus said, tell them what God has done for you. All this man had was his story. All he had was his interaction with Jesus. He didn't have a Bible. All he had was his interaction with Jesus. That's all he had. So Jesus gets back in the boat and he crossed the lake. And my question for you is, as this man, do you think... Jesus would take the time to cross the lake for you. Because this is what happens. So Jesus goes through all that. He leaves this hype and this popularity. He comes across this lake. They get caught in a storm. The guys think they're going to die. He heals one man, and then he goes back across the lake, which means that he did all that for one man. 
Do you believe that Jesus would cross the lake for you? Because if your answer is anything but yes, you're absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. So this man, he goes. He goes to the Decapolis, and he starts, telling, he starts telling everybody what Jesus had done for him because he believed. He saw this interaction. Jesus actually did this for me. He actually does believe that I can live a better story than what I'm living. So check this out. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed down a hill and sat down. What we know from other accounts is that Jesus went back across, but now he came back to the Decapolis. He's back to where this guy Legion was. Okay. As Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed down a hill and sat down, a vast crowd brought to him people who were lame. So the first time that he showed up on the side of this lake, he was greeted by one crazy man. But now there's a vast crowd. What happened? What happened? Who told them? Who told them? Why was there a vast crowd? Like, there was no Twitter feed. Jesus couldn't instant anything. There was no Facebook. There was nothing. Who told them? Why was there a vast crowd? A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking, and the blind could see. And they praised the God of Israel. They praised the God of Israel. These were not people that praised the God of Israel before. So we know that in this context, someone had to go back to the Decapolis and tell their story. Who did? It was Legion. He goes back. He goes back and he tells his story. He's telling people what Jesus had done for him. There was this guy that crossed the lake for me. And he cast all these things out. And now I have a life again. Like, you have to meet him. You have to meet him. And if you're, if you're trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, like if you're trying to figure out if you actually want to do this stuff, in Jesus is everything you're looking for. I promise. Like in Jesus is everything, everything, everything you're looking for. These people from the Decapolis, they hadn't found what they were looking for. So when they saw everything that Jesus was doing, they came to him. And that's why it says they praise the God of Israel. When we see what Jesus actually does in people's lives... The only thing we can do is praise this God of Israel, our Father. That is a beautiful mountain. Now I want to ask you guys, I want to ask you guys, when you think of your life and everything that you've done throughout your life, maybe this week in the last 24 hours, and you hear these tapes that you're not good enough, that you're not worth it, that you've gone too far this time, that this relationship with God basically just becomes this thing that you're trying to, I'm going to do whatever I can not to do something wrong. Your relationship with God becomes defined by abstinence. As long as I don't do this, I'm good. Or I haven't done this in this long, so I'm good. If that's how we approach our relationships with Jesus, we're missing out on so much. This guy, Legion, had been healed, given his life back. He found his life back in Jesus, and he went and simply shared his story. Because of that, people's lives were changed. Do you believe that Jesus would actually cross the lake for you? Do you really believe that Jesus would cross the lake for you? Because if you do, if you believe that Jesus would cross the lake for you, and you live out of that belief, 
there's nothing better than that. I, I mean, imagine what that would be like. Imagine if we lived lives in spite of what happened, like bills, relationships, crazy stuff throughout the week. That, you know, like I overbooked this weekend. I'm totally stressed. All this stuff is going wrong. But I still believe that Jesus crossed the lake for me in spite of my mistakes, that he's still time to actually cross the galaxy, actually leave heaven, that he actually literally left heaven in order just to give us a chance. Do we, if, if we believe that, if we woke up believing that, and we fight to believe that, and we fought to believe that, and we went to bed begging God to help us to understand and to believe that Jesus actually crossed the lake for us, we would live the lives that we're looking to live. You know, I'm, I'm always thinking about how do we help the next generation? How do we help change the world for the next generation? How do I leave this place in, in, in better condition than I left it for you guys? There's no pretty speeches that I can give. Like, I'm so over trying to figure out how to give a perfect speech. Like, I seriously, I don't. What I want to figure out how to do is make Jesus real to you. Because I desperately believe that Jesus crossed the lake for me. And I know that he crossed the lake for you. I know that he did. That's, that's why we have the opportunity to be here together in this community, finding healing, finding reconciliation, finding restoration in Jesus. Because we have the opportunity to live lives in which, like, we don't have to live in condemnation or shame or fear and guilt and embarrassment of the things that we've done. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took all that with him. And he was thinking of you when he did that. Right now, we're going to pray as we close the service. I want to thank you guys for having me. But we're going to go to God right now. We're going to thank him for everything that Jesus has done for us. God, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to, to have breath and life. God, to be able to, uh, to be in a part, like to be in a community, God, to be with people that are trying to figure out how to, to love you, who are accepting their brokenness, who understand that, like, yeah, we don't have to be perfect. Like, if Jesus says we're worth it, we're worth it. God, if, if we don't have to be good enough for the world because we're good enough for Jesus, God, I pray that you help burn that belief into our heart, God, so that we wake up in the morning, so that we live lives that are free, free from, like, the guilt, the manipulation, the tapes that tell us all these things. God, please free us in our hearts so that we can live free lives in Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So I am quite sure that you enjoyed that as much as I did. And uh, what a fantastic message, Seth. Thank you so much for coming. If you're, uh, if you're new to the church here, and maybe even if you're not, I want to remind you that one of the things that we're doing is, uh, at least uh, once a month, we're having somebody younger uh, come and speak for us, somebody who's in their 20s or most early 30s, and I'm very excited about this. And when this happens, and we're getting different people from our ministry and other parts of the church, I think it reminds us of uh, the future can be bright here. And uh, for our children and our grandchildren and such. So, uh, Seth, thank you so much. We're going to continue to do this with other people and uh, look forward to having him back uh, as well. Do you think we should have him back sometime? Is that a... uh... Okay. I'm uh, going to take that as a yes.
So uh, we are going to uh, finish up here. I want to remind the parents, uh, enjoy the fellowship. Do not go pick up your children in the class over there for another 15 minutes. So uh, 15 minutes of freedom for you to enjoy. Uh, Take advantage of every minute and have a great rest of the Sunday.